Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a very special guest. Her name is Carolyn Herford, and she's co-founder of the Imposter Syndrome Institute, the world's number one source for solutions and for individuals and organizations, a nationally recognized business growth strategist, speaker, and award-winning entrepreneur with over 30 years of experience. Carolyn is integral to helping the Institute achieve its mission, stamp out imposter syndrome worldwide. When she isn't presenting rethinking imposter syndrome to audiences around the globe, Caroline is busy developing collaborations with others who share ISI's mission and and facilitate speakers training sessions for Imposter Syndrome Institute. And together with her teams, she has currently developed a coaching certificate that will offer HR managers, DE&I professionals, and business mentors a protocol they can use to help others stop feeling like imposters. Welcome, Carolyn. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Well, you know, what can you help elucidate our audience? You know, they might have heard about the imposter syndrome. They might not have. But what is the imposter syndrome and what is it not? It is an excellent question to start with. Let's let's do that. And let's start with what it's not. First of all, it's not a fancy word for low self-esteem. Think of self-esteem as a universal sense we have about ourselves. Uh, imposter syndrome is specific to the achievement arena. So think about your job, your business, if you own a business, your career, your, you know, your school, if you're a student. So if you're out walking the dog or power shopping online or doing laundry, you're not going to feel like an imposter. Those are just things we do, right? But you might experience imposter feelings if you're interviewing for a job or you're new to a role or you're in a meeting with people who are senior to you. So that's what that's what it is not and a little bit of what it is, but what it is 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 um, the term imposter phenomenon was coined by two psychologists in 1978, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes. And <clears throat> we it somehow morphed from imposter phenomenon to imposter syndrome, despite the fact that it's not a dysfunction or any kind of diagnosable disorder, um, it, popular culture somehow adopted the term syndrome and that's the term we use. But so if you think about what it is, what is imposter syndrome? It is a feeling that millions of people worldwide have that they are not as talented, intelligent, capable, or qualified as everybody 
thinks they are, despite lots of evidence that shows that they are accomplished and successful. So, so what, why does that come about? Why do people feel like they're imposters when they're highly credentialed? Yeah, that's an, another excellent question. So um, one of the things that, well, there, we talk about seven sources and we don't have to go through all of those sources, but um, one of, one of the, the tools, we have a um, three-prong approach to helping people deal with imposter syndrome. And the first tool that we give to people is to normalize imposter syndrome. And one of those ways to normalize it is to understand the source. And it's going to be different for everybody. Um, but one that we can all identify with is that we were raised by humans. So, <laughs> you know, like humans are humans. And so we get these early family messages that um, are going to be different from family to family. And, but that, that is one thing. So if you think about um, let's say you're the kid who comes home from school and you've got four A's on your report card and one B, you know, did your family say, what's that B doing there? You know, that might've been a family that is first generation. And the only path they see to success is having a good education. So they want their kids to have, you know, straight A's only the best. And that's going to instill some stuff around that. Um, another family, a kid might come home with perfect grades, all A's, and the family is, doesn't even acknowledge or praise the child. And it might be for a lot of reasons. It might be because their parents didn't praise them and their parents' parents didn't praise the, the you know, like there's that whole um, family stuff that happens. Or it might be because, you know, your sibling wasn't doing well in school. And so they didn't want to give you extra props for your great grades because it might make Jimmy feel bad. Uh, so those are some things. But as kids, praise is like, oxygen. And so we want that praise. We need that praise, but that's not always how families approach it. And in some cases, some kids got a little too much oxygen, a little too much praise. And so they get into the real world and they don't really know what good work is or what bad work is, what mediocre work is. They don't really know how to judge themselves because all they ever got were trophies and gold stars and pats on the head. So that family uh, and, messaging and, and, is a big one. And part of our society now, especially at school, is, is children don't fail. Children, right. we, we are always giving people pats on the head. We are never uh, looking at there could be improvement. And it's always, uh, you're doing good, you're doing good, you're doing good. And I, I think that's a mistake, the way our schooling systems are going too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's certainly um, it, it, it's certainly interesting. And I always find it interesting because I look at I'm the youngest of five in my family. And I look at how the five of us turned out so differently, even though we had similar family messaging. So, you know, but as the youngest, I might have had slightly different messaging from my parents than my oldest brother did. So it is it's it, it is it is fascinating how how, um, how, how that is. So that family messaging is one source. Um, another one is the confidence gap. I mean, there, 
<clears throat> was a study done with over 10,000 people, half being outside of the US, which is refreshing. And what they found is in their 20s and 30s, women or people who identify as women um, had lower confidence than people who identify as male. And uh, it, it's not until their 40s that that gap starts to close between male and female. And, and that's a long time. Think about like those are, that's two decades of career building, you know, pl platform building um, for, for women. And they don't start to catch up until the 40s and 50s. And it's not until the 60s where women are more confident than men in general. And so when you think about that gap and, you know, think about when you get into a group with your classmates or at work and you, you know, team needs to do some project, who do they pick as the leader? They don't always pick the more competent person. They pick the more confident person. So if I have low confidence in my twenties and thirties as a woman, who's going to be leading the teams, who's going to be getting the visibility and, and having those kind of experiences. So those are contributing factors as well. The confidence gap. Well, that's quite a few of them. Do you have a couple of more you'd like to cover on that list of seven? You know, besides situational factors and the field you're in, like if you're in a STEM or a rapidly changing field, a real big one, um, and it really plays into diversity, equity, and inclusion is uh, having a sense of belonging or, or not. And so if you're one of the first or the few or the only who, uh, who, in a room, in a situation, you might start to, you know, look around you and that can impact how you feel. So, you know, some of it might be you look or sound different than the people in the room, in the classroom, in the workspace with you. Uh, we have delivered our program, Rethinking Imposter Syndrome, to over 100 universities around the world. And what we found is the people who consistently show up in spades are the people who are international students. So they're working and studying in a different culture. They're feeling like one of the only, they might be the first. And so not only do you have the pressure of being tested every day on the work that you're doing in school, you're now having to do it in another culture, in another language, probably that isn't your first language. And we all do better in our first language. Like we all speak and feel more confident speaking our first language than a second language. So, so that can happen. It might be, um, you know, if you're first in a role, Michelle Obama talked openly about experiencing imposter feelings as the first lady of the United States. You know, she was the first black female in that role. And so that's something that she struggled with. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that play into that, but there is overall a pressure to represent when you're one of the first or one of the few or one of the only, you know, imagine being, um, you know, a person with a handicap and you get hired and you feel a pressure to perform so that you don't mess it up for all the other people who are, you know, 
don't have their sight or don't have their hearing. And so there are a lot of things that play into this as it, um, as it plays into diversity, equity, and inclusion. Those are, are rather important factors. So we, we now have identified the reasons people get the imposter syndrome. Now, can we share a few things on how a person who feels they are, or they have the imposter syndrome, how they can overcome it? Yeah, because cool. that I think is the most important part. Once you identify it, I, I, I think the steps to overcome it are even more important than identifying that it exists. Yeah. Well, there's an awareness that comes with it because people might experience it for different reasons, not just the sources, but how it shows up because each of us measure competence differently. And so Dr. Valerie Young, who is my co-founder at Imposter Syndrome Institute, or as we like to call it, ISSI, because it's, you know, far fewer syllables. Um, she is the world's leading expert on this. And she has been working on this over four decades, this very specific topic. And having spoken with over a half a million people, she started to notice some patterns around how people measure competence. And so she narrowed it down to these five competence types. So there are people who are the perfectionist. That's how they experience their imposter feelings. It's about how it's how they do a job, how a job is done. Anything less than a hundred percent is not good enough. You know, there are people who are the expert, which is the knowledge version of a perfectionist. This is what do you know and how much of it do you know? And so they're going to experience imposter syndrome differently. There's the soloist who completes the task. Um, you know, for them, it's up to who completes the task. And there are two others, which we don't have to go into, but that my point is you are going to experience it differently. And then these feelings that you have about this lead to your behaviors. And we start to develop coping mechanisms because what's happening in all of this is you're coping with the anxiety of waiting to be found out as that imposter. And then you're waiting to actually avoid being found out. And so these coping mechanisms, you know, some of us might, there are um, also several coping mechanisms, but a few of them is some people might show up by flying on, under, under the radar and holding back. They might be in a meeting and they're like, I'm not raising my hand. I've got ideas, but I'm not going to, no way. I'm not putting it out there. And so they, they don't, they don't bring their ideas forth. Other people might procrastinate. That has been one of my coping mechanisms is procrastination and um, on important projects or tasks. Um, some people might overwork or overprepare. So it's really important to understand what your type is. And then also, what are your coping mechanisms? You might use one or more, it doesn't matter. And now that you're armed with this, now you can say, okay, what do I do with this? <laughs> Um, so to get to your question in a very long way, um, curing imposter syndrome really comes down to the three uh, tools that we recommend. And first we've talked about normalizing it by understanding the source, but also, um, normalization comes in the form of 
breaking the silence, like having conversations like we're having today, not making it a taboo. Oh my gosh. I can, you know, like just saying, oh yeah, we all experience it, you know, at some time or another. And the, and the statistics are very high. Lots of studies show that, you know, they're in their varying degrees um, that people experience imposter feelings. So that's really important. And, and by normalizing it, what it does is it allows us to contextualize more and personalize less. So it's no longer about, well, my mom and dad didn't pat me on the head. That's personalizing it, contextualizing it. You go, oh yeah, that's right. Okay. That's how that happened. And so that's, that, um, that's one thing. Um, and then the other thing is there's a term that we use at imposter syndrome Institute called the humble realist. So the statistics, the, the statistic that's bandied about a lot is that 70% of people experience imposter feelings. Um, so does that make the other 30% like arrogant jerks? No, some, some, some might be, um, but the people who don't experience imposter feelings are what we call humble realists. And these are the people who have a real realistic understanding of what it means to be competent. They think and respond differently to failure and mistakes and constructive criticism. And they think and respond differently to fear. So our second tool is to reframe, start thinking like a humble realist. How would a humble realist uh, respond to something like this? And so reframing is adopting a healthy understanding or a healthy response to competence and failure and constructive criticism and fear. Um, for example, the perfectionist, if you create this whole slide deck and you find one mistake on a slide, are you gonna beat yourself up? If you're a perfectionist, you are, but maybe if you give yourself a chance to be a humble realist instead, you can say, oh, all right, that's fine. It was only one mistake, no big deal. So there are different reframes that you can use depending on the type you most identify with. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty crucial that it is. people first have knowledge and, <laughs> and understand it. Uh, and the second one is to reframe it. I, you know, I've always stated that it's not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens. Mm -hmm. So if you do have a personality type that pushes you towards the imposter syndrome, then I, I think now that you realize that, then you have the opportunity to grow through that and mm -hmm. use it as something that is going to be something positive in your life, not something that's negative in your life. Well, and it's not something that goes away. I mean, in fact, sometimes like sometimes the more successful you become, the more you experience it because you're just waiting. You're like, how did I get here? I can't be that great. And so like it, it will continue to happen. And that's why the tools that we use are very simple. You know, you can implement them immediately. That third tool is to keep going regardless of how confident you feel, knowing that the more you do, the more confident you will feel. So, you know, keep going regardless of any, what that early messages or expectations 
expectations are from your family or regardless of the challenges of being among the first or the few or the only or regardless of you know social stereotypes or pressure to represent or working in a field that's really competitive those those three tools are like your trifecta to just go boom all right now i can talk myself off what is really a normal imposter moment like we all i still have these feelings and i'm like boom and it's so interesting because knowing what my type is and knowing what my coping mechanism is i'll be like oh I'm procrastinating what's going on here. And then I can just spot it and go boom, 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 reframe and move on. So I, I, I think it was Paula Abdul, who is a very consummate performer and has done extremely well in her lifetime through being a, an amazing dancer, a choreographer and a TV professional uh, said that the reason for her success is she'd fake it till she made it. And, and I think that is a, a, a simple way of saying, yes, I may be an imposter, but if I can push myself through it, then I really can have the success that I need to, mm -hmm. to show that I've actually gotten those skills. Yeah. Yeah. Meryl Streep is another one who says, you know, oh my gosh, you know, really, do people want to see me in another movie? I'm not that great anyway. You know, when you think about like how many uh, awards she's won and, you know, being the most nominated woman for the Oscars and, you know, but still has those thoughts and feelings. So it's crazy what we humans do to ourselves, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, we're getting close to the end here. Mm -hmm. and this, this show is called How to Live a Fantastic Life Show. So Carolyn, in view of your knowledge of imposter syndrome, how would you recommend people should have a fantastic life? Mm. Well, I'm going to go back to the tools because really just know that if you have imposter feelings, there's no need for shame or embarrassment around it. Just know that it's normal. Know that there's another way to change how you think about your situation, which will then ultimately change your feelings and just keep going. You've got this. You don't need to be more confident. You already are. Um, doing this will help you become more confident. So that's cool. Cool. So, that's so on a personal level, mm -hmm. how do you use those tools in your personal life to have a fantastic life? Um, well, so I'll just go back to the procrastination thing. <laughs> Because that is one of those things where if I notice myself doing it, I'll be like, ah, okay. And then I'll, I'll reframe for myself and say, am I procrastinating? Cause I really want to go on this hike with my favorite Irishman. Am I procrastinating? Because I just don't know. I just think I don't know what I'm doing. Am I procrastinating for some other reason? And so just having the awareness of that and understanding where it's being driven from allows me to just be more kind with myself, which I think self-compassion helps us have a fantastic life. Well, those are huge. And, and that's why I wanted to bring it back home to you and to your, your beliefs and, and your systems that you have, because I think those systems are important. Now, I'm going to ask you another question, and that is, if you could go back and meet somebody that was a younger version of yourself, what advice would you give them in view of the 
imposter syndrome. Oh, be gentle with yourself. Yes. Okay. That's it. Because that might be reshaped their whole life. I mean, because, because often we are too difficult on ourselves. Often we are ruthless of ourselves and and we, we tear ourselves apart. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we're often our own worst critics. So tell us a little bit about that and elaborate on that a bit. It is definitely be gentle with yourself. I think, and, and my younger self didn't have social media, um, but my younger self had Nikki and Sharon and Jackie and all the cute cheerleader girls who I adore, but you know, I'd look at them and think, oh, oh my gosh. So today's younger generation has the additional pressure of seeing it plastered all over social media. And so much of that is made up and so I and, and manufactured. And so I think it's really important if I were talking to my younger self, um, is it comes down to be be go easy on yourself. Like you're you're doing your best. Your best is great. It doesn't mean you can't keep developing skills. It can't you are no smarter and no dumber than anybody else out there. Everybody's about equal. And so just go easy and know that you're gonna have your ups and downs. And and for, for me, I truly believe every experience we have is to contribute to making us into full, fully living, fully functioning humans. And it's how we respond to it um, that creates our, our reality, present reality, and our future. Yeah, and I, I think that's rather important. Uh, as I say, it's not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens. Mm-hmm. And it's your failures that often are the things that give you your greatest successes. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I would also say to that younger me, always have a coach or someone who's guiding you, a mentor, um, I just, I think that that's, it, it helps give you perspective when you can't see it for yourself. And it's also why I think understanding imposter syndrome, if even if you don't experience it yourself, you know, odds are very high that you know somebody who does. You probably lead, manage, mentor, or, you know, work with other humans who do. And so it's really important to be able to see that and help them talk them off the ledge. And that's what I think a a true value that coaches do. It's actually one of the reasons we've created a coaching program around imposter syndrome is it's, it's a topic that is gaining so much awareness. I think back 40 years ago, Valerie heard about it kind of through the grapevine. And now it's this thing. It's really exploded the last couple of years. Um, and, and coaches who are life coaches, career coaches, you know, executive coaches, HR managers, mentors, people in DE&I really need to understand how to help people through this because we can't always see it for ourselves. So if you can't stop and be gentle with yourself, find someone who can. Yeah, for sure. Well, Carolyn, we're almost at our end here. So how can people get in touch with you and find out more about your your world, your institution, if they like. 
Yeah. Yeah. Our website is very easy. It's imposter syndrome.com. Um, so you can just go to our website. We have a fabulous resources section with some really fab, you know, great infographics that just quickly help you go, Oh yes, I identify with this, or I don't identify with this. It shares some more information on the five types. We talked about ways that we cope, um, you know, statistics around it. So it helps people start normalizing, um, just knowing what the facts are around it. And we've got some great articles, interviews, this I'm sure will be added to the website at some point. So, um, that imposter syndrome.com and all of our contact points are on the website. So wonderful. Well, thank you very much for sharing this time with us today and, and sharing your wisdom. I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people. I sure hope so. Thank you. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for spending this time with us. And, and thank you for, for listening. Um, if you would like more information on coaching, either from our guest or myself, uh, check out my website, Dr. Alan Leica. That's D-R-A-L-L-E-N Leica, L-Y-C-K-A.com. I hope to talk to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day. Have a fantastic day.